So I thought today we would look at some examples of giving. And let me say this. Here's the thing that I'm going for. It's not enough that you write a check. You'll ruin it. It, it would be this way. There, I remembered our anniversary. Check that off. How do you think that evening would go if you did your wife that way? Here's the flowers. Don't bug me. I remembered you. Wouldn't do anything, wouldn't do anything to change the environment, would it? What would matter most is that you gave your heart to her. You may not have the money for flowers, but said, I want to give you me. Why not take all of me? That's what I'm trying to teach you in these offerings. Why not give it all? You're going to leave it all. Why don't you learn to give it all? And deliver you from the American greed and stinginess. Let me give you a little backdrop. Randy Alcorn says this about American giving. This is a little old. He took it from Barna in 2001. Compared to 1999, uh, the average giving in local churches dropped 19%. Uh, among born-again adults, there was a 44% rise in those who gave nothing. 44%. The average daily or weekly donation in an American Protestant church is, get this, $17. $17. The average donor gives about $649 in 2000. In the Depression, the average charitable giving was 3.3%. Today, charitable giving is about 2.5. So with our prosperity, we have not become generous. Having money doesn't make you generous. Some of the tightest people I know have got thousands of bucks in excess, but they're tight-fisted. You don't want to have a meal with them. You begrudge the meal because they're counting how much it costs. And he says, don't sit down to a meal with a man that's calculating the cost. You better find some poor folks. They'll give it without reservation, and they'll give you everything they got. I'd lot rather have a meal with a poor boy that loves me and is really giving it than a guy that's got lots of money and is a tight wad. And all the saints who've experienced that said, amen. All right? Take it by faith. Say amen. All right? Turn. Three examples of giving. Turn, if you will, to Luke 21. And then we'll go to 2 Corinthians 8. It's amazing to me that when God wants to teach us to give, there's no place he ever picked a rich man to teach us that. Now, Abraham was wealthy, a lot of rich folks that are Christians, but his examples, we're going to look at a poor widow, a poor church, and a rich king who became poor. So let's look at the poor widow. We'll just move from that because we want to get to 2 Corinthians 8, but just let's take note of this. Luke 21, verse 1. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, kind of like you. Because you remember last week I said, Randy Alcorn, if you made only $1,500 last year, that's more than 80% of the world's population, if you made over $1,500. Uh, so you're in the top 20%. If you have sufficient food, decent clothes, live in a house or an apartment, 
and have a reasonably reliable means of transportation, you're among the top 15%. If you have any money saved, a hobby that requires some equipment or supplies, a variety of clothes in your closet, two cars in any condition, and live in your own home, you are in the top 5% of the world's population. So most of our congregations are fat cats, but you've convinced yourself you're poor because you don't have a better car than the guy you envy. But the rest of the world, why will 100,000 children die today from dysentery because they can't drink clean water, but they have to drink water with animal feces and human feces, and they got to drink that and die by the age of two? What makes your color and your part of the country any better than that baby? Where did you earn? Who chose your parents? Who chose that you grew up with so much? My folks, when they moved in to South Richmond, our furniture was dynamite boxes my dad collected from the Friant Dam and, a, and the Hoover Dam, said Hercules powder on it, and nobody ever broke into our house that wasn't worth anything stealing. <laughs> Didn't even need a lock. Help yourself. Dynamite boxes come a long ways. Now, look at this woman. She's in there, and all these rich people are putting in their gifts in the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. They're so small, get this, they were equal to one 128th of a denarius. A denarius was a day's wages for a common laborer. It was equal to one 128th of that. That's how much. Jesus knew exactly how much he put in. Would you give that small an offering if you were surrounded in a church with a bunch of rich people? She did. Didn't stop her. And Jesus didn't stop her. Don't give. You're too poor to give. You're never too poor to give. Never. Watch this. And they put in their money, and Jesus obviously observed what she gave because he, he, Jesus is an usher at every offering. He knows what you give. Think of the usher as being Jesus. Omniscient. He knows what you, you did. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. Jesus is profound. How can this be? For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. Here is an amazing thing, and I'm convicted by it. I don't like the principle, but I have to live with it. After I give my offering today, how much will I have left? Will I have any savings left? Will this offering, I appreciated Nick's testimony last week when he said, I had $1,500 of bills. I couldn't account for how I could pay for them. But God says, you must start giving now. I started giving now, and I guarantee you he paid the bills. But you see, it was going to cost him to obey. It's going to cost him to give. That's why we don't like to send our people to financial planners as a whole. I would send you to Gene Snobble or someone like that. But most financial planners will say, if you're in a crunch, they would never say, honor God first. They say, you can't afford to give. You can't afford to give. You got to be a wife. You owe all your creditors first. God's your first creditor. 
You owe him for everything. You owe him for everything. So he says here that uh, this little woman gave more than you all. So it wasn't the amount. It was uh, really what was left. It, it, I'll give you all. What do I have left? So after you give, before we start patting ourselves on the back, say, um, let's compare ourselves to a widow. Now let's go to a poor church, a poor church. Let's turn over to 2 Corinthians. Uh, Paul is raising an offering for the poor Jewish believers in Jerusalem. They're suffering. They're losing their jobs. They're being kicked out of the synagogue. They're being persecuted. And the Jerusalem church is hurting. And uh, so among these Gentile pagans who are being saved, Paul's everywhere he goes, I'm raising an offering for the poor back in Jerusalem. And listen to what he says. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Look at a map. Macedonia is where Thessalonica is. It's where Berea is. It's where Philippi is. And you go right down the southern part of Greece. Then you go into Achaia, and that's where Corinth is. So they're like adjoining counties or provinces. But he's telling the Corinthians, I want you to join in this offering with the same gusto the Macedonians up here have joined in. And I want to tell you how they gave, and I hope it provokes you to give in like manner. I'm not taking this for Paul. I'm taking this for poor believers. The church started in Jerusalem. Started with Jerusalem evangelists. Started with Jewish evangelists. Paul's a Jewish apostle reaching pagan Gentiles. Let's remember the Jerusalem poor. Then he says, For in severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in, all, in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. You notice giving is an act of grace. I say this not as a command. Moses would command. But Paul said, I want you to show that you're earnest in your love, and your love is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. What is the circumstances of this poor Macedonian church? See what happened. The silver mines and the gold mines of Macedonia made them desirable for Rome. And Rome went in there, took over those mines, and Alfred Plummer said he left uh, Macedonia as a lacerated animal that had been chopped to pieces. For Rome wanted the gold, wanted the silver, and impoverished Macedonia. So an economy that had been booming 
hits the bottom. Their circumstances, he said, they're in severe affliction. And the word affliction is severe economic pressure. What the recession, the depression is doing to people today. They were in, they were in no condition to really be bountiful in giving. But he said they were in extreme conditions, pressure upon them. He said they were in deep poverty. This word uh, literally means down to the depth of poverty, rock bottom, we would say. Uh, they, they had spent their savings. They had spent, they're just trying to feed families and maintain. Their economy has been ravaged by Rome, and they've been live to live with, with all their wealth is going out on Roman ships back to the capital so Nero and Caligula can throw a party every weekend and have drunken orgies. So they're in a desperate way. Uh, surely they can't have a part in helping the poor. Corinth is prosperous. It's a seaport town. I mean, they're abounding in money. That's where all the tourists come. It's where all the sailors come. They abounded in temples. They abounded in prostitution. They, abound. they were a wealth. Go to Corinth to spend your money. The Las Vegas of the ancient world. But notice what they did, the manner of their giving. Number one, they gave out of grace. Isn't that interesting? You see, if you grew up under the law, the law required 23% of your income. They had three tithes. The first tithe uh, was required uh, in Numbers 18 to support the priest. Then they had a second tithe that was required in Deuteronomy 12 because all Jewish men were to go up to Jerusalem three times a year and they were to party before their God, dance, sing his praises, celebrate, and this second tithe paid for the religious festivals when all the men came to town. And this was a part of their religious worship. Then every third year they took a tithe, and that was in Deuteronomy 14, and that third year tithe was to have a fund set aside for widows, orphans, the poor, and the alien. So when you average it, it came out to really 23 and a third percent a year is what God commanded his people to give under the law. You see, the Gentiles had no patterns for giving. They didn't grow up under the law. They didn't grow up under Jewish giving. They knew nothing. They didn't know about this. They weren't under the law of Moses. You've got to be kidding if you think pagans were tithing. This was Jewish. This is what the Jewish believers grew up with. And then they knew about honor offerings, first fruit offerings. They were to bring offerings that the first fruit, one thing was the amount, 23% over three years. But the second thing was it was the first fruit. That was the nature of it. I want to give you my best. I'm going to give you the first. I could trust you for everything after that. You get the first, you get the best, so that you might be honored. Hey, none of the Macedonians ever heard that in their life. They didn't grow up on Deuteronomy. They didn't grow up on the book of Leviticus. They didn't grow up on the Levitical priesthood. 
What do they know about giving? He said, the grace of God is going to take over where the law of Moses ended. And when the grace of God's working in you, I wonder, does that justify you giving less than they gave under the law? Is this grace a freedom to do nothing? You get grace believers. See, when I started this church, we didn't pass the offering for 10 years. And it's wonderful. God supplied. He met needs. Because I grew up strong under influence of Dallas. We didn't even use the word tithe. That's all Jewish. Never dare use it. And what I found out is people didn't know where to begin giving. So guess what? I tell them, I don't want to say tithe. That's the law. I just say, give, start at 11%. That gets you off at 10 Start somewhere. Maybe the law was training wheels to teach a people how to give, but it wasn't just 10. How much of your income goes to the poor? How much of your income do you give to widows? How much of your income goes to rescue children? That, they have one tithe every three years just, and it, it went for foreigners, aliens. Gentiles among the Jews were to be treated well like aliens because you were slaves in Egypt. Don't be mean to aliens. Don't be mean to immigrants to this country. Don't measure a man by the pigmentation of his face or his accent. Be good to him. Your parents are probably immigrants to this country. Mine came from England and Germany. We were immigrants at one time. Somebody had to feed us to get us this far. My mother's people came from Ireland. My grandfather died as a poor coal miner. Miner's consumption, Pitcher, Oklahoma. Poor, poor, desperate. So he said, they gave out of grace. That's what motivated them. Uh, And in verse 2, get this. In severe tests, they gave their abundance of joy. Wait, wait, you can't give and be happy. You won't get happy until you do give. God will see to it. God knows how to keep you miserable with a lot. Talk to the rich. Read their biographies. See a movie sometime on the rich. Study Howard Hughes' life. See if he died a happy man or a lonely man, spending his money to just rent whole suites so he could put up his oxygen tent and die alone, die scared. And his mom and dad were devout believers back in Wheaton, Illinois. But he abandoned the faith. He couldn't stand his parents, and he squandered his life and resources. So what? You got a lot of money. I'd rather have a plate full of vegetables and joy than a plate full of lots of good stuff and misery. God alone can make you happy. God alone. Happiness isn't bought in a bottle, nor a drug, nor money. It's only found in God, and when you're doing His will, He said, they did it out of great joy. And and their extreme poverty overflowed in what? Rich generosity. Uh, Are you known for being generous or a skin flint? He said, you ought to be generous on every occasion as God enables you. You know what I love to do anymore? I love, now don't anybody ask me to take you out today. I'm not going to take you. Believe me, I'm having James and Diane. I like to go out. I like to pay the bill. But that's why I say, don't invite me out. I'm not going to pay your bill. I know your motive is corrupt. 
because the first five years at this church, everybody that invited me to lunch, I said, you got to pay. I have no money. I just want to be up front with you. I'm a total liability if you want to go out. And the places they took me, it didn't cost much, believe me. Um, skin flinch. I mean, no. But, but they were rich in generosity. And, and he said, notice this. They gave according to their means. Now, now that's good. I, I wish you would do that. See, there's a difference of giving out of your means and giving according to it. You know, one of these wealthy men here, let's see, uh, Ralph Lauren makes uh, $1,000 in uh, 39.5 seconds. Uh, Sheldon Adelson, I'm I'm sorry, I just don't know any of these people. I wonder why. Uh, Made $7.5 billion this year. If if we ask him for an offering of a million dollars, he didn't bless us according to his wealth. It's out of his wealth. That's a tip for him. But we would, we, we'd get a plaque out here and take his photograph. Largest donation so far. You know what? In our giving records, as Ron Hughes reports, we have widows that give as much as businessmen. We got widows. He knows their name. Somebody gives you a receipt at the end of the year. Somebody besides God knows what you give. That might make you nervous. So be it. You'll fuss if you don't get the receipt. Yeah, folks giving, giving out. But so they gave according to their means, and, and that's wonderful. That's the way God said he did in Philippians 4.19. He'll bless you according to his riches. But then they gave beyond their means, and I don't know how you do that. I, I, I don't know where they got it. But they gave beyond the means they had. Do, is it in your Bible? This is a Bible church. Do you look at that verse? Look at that verse. Don't look at me. Look at that verse. Is that in your Bible? Is it there? Say amen. I didn't write this. God's not lying. This really happened. They gave, like in the Depression, people given 3.5 of their income, and we give 2 point something now. What's our problem? Greed, stinginess, and a wrong relationship with God. You don't love something you won't give to. You don't love, and we'll look at that next week in Jesus' teaching. Well, uh, let's keep on. This is so convicting. I love it. Uh, begging us, they begged us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Have you ever begged to be a part of an offering? The pew isn't saying a word, nor the pulpit. Have you ever begged? I, I say this uh, in the Family Life Center one Sunday. Uh, we, we dismissed an evening service. We'll be meeting tonight, by the way. Dr. Canham is going to preach a sermon on why I believe the Bible is free from error. Graduated from Westminster Seminary, and we've given him 45 minutes because he can go 45 days on the topic. So if you don't think the Bible's accurate, show up tonight, and Mike will seek to devour all your prejudice because he's going to tell you we got a Bible that's free from error. You may not be free from error in the way you interpret it, but the Bible itself is free from error. I believe everything the Bible says, although I don't understand all it says. That's fair, isn't it? But he's going to be speaking on that. And I remember 
Uh, I did that because I remember we were having Sunday night service. We used to meet all the time, but I was, we dismissed for some holiday, and I was over there with some grandchildren, some of my son-in-laws, and the kids were riding their go-karts. And a man pulls up, and he stops, and he come over, and he hands me this envelope. He puts it in my hand and says, I, I could, I've been out of town. I can't make it tonight. You've got to take this. And I said, what's this? He said, it's my giving for the week. I said, I don't handle money in this church. I said, you don't want that. You want me to get it? It may never, may never get registered. You know, I might do something reckless. And uh, here, no, no, you do it. You get in the offering. I said, no, take it back. You, you can drop it off Monday. You, he said, no, I never keep over the Lord's day what I promised to give him. And the sun's still up. Take it. I want the Lord to see the transfer of his offering. It's the only time I was ever begged. I could start standing at the back door if it would help you. <laughs> but he, he insisted. I took it. I don't know what happened. I, I, I got it to the church. Um, then he goes, they beg for that privilege. And then here's the most amazing thing. This is what no preacher, no man, no apostle can make you do. They first gave themselves to the Lord by the will of God. You know what? God wants you first. He wants you first. He's not impressed with our giving. He's not impressed with money. He told Israel, if I was hungry, I wouldn't tell you. I own the cattle. Or the th our God's not poor, by the way. It's just this local church is in the hole, but he's not broke. He owns everything. He owns everything. And the big thing is, uh, when he gets you, he'll get everything you control. Time, money, whatever you're in charge of. And it becomes monopoly money. So what? So what? Is that where you get your fulfillment? How much of it you keep? The joy is how much you can give away and still be so blessed. Would every miserable believer please stand? Go ahead. You stand now. Every miserable believer that's miserable about giving, any happy? We just let you Anybody? Does giving make you happy? Three of us. Oh, four or five. Good. Okay. Well, now, um, this is convicting that a, a poor church, and he's telling Corinth, what's your problem? You, you're double, double their worth. Then the thing that I alluded to next week that I will end on is verse 9 is what haunted me last week as I prayed, that in the midst of receiving an offering, not discussing Christology, he says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet, notice, for your sake, he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. Um, I've known a lot of people that had money that became broke. Had a man attend our church that said one time, I've snorted two fortunes away up my nose with cocaine. Two fortunes. He was a big contractor, did a lot of building, but he said, I snorted it all away. I didn't know what to do with it once I got it. 
went up my nose, developed nosebleeds and all of that. You can go broke in a depression. You can go broke uh, through a famine, bad business downturn in the economy. You can go broke a, a thousand different ways. But for you to make yourself poor, and it's not a bad business decision, for God to say that God the Son, who is eternal, creator, king of kings, owner of all creation, the firstborn who created it all, for you to hear God say, I will make myself poor if that's what it means for you. And of course, what did Judaism say? We won't have a poor Messiah. We won't have a suffering Messiah. We won't have one that it says there's no beauty that you should desire him. He was despised and rejected of men, grew up as a root out of dry ground. That's hard times. Poverty. We won't have a poor God. But here's a God that says, I will divest myself of all the privileges and all the glory of being God for you. Because God could save nobody with Jesus staying on the throne. It was only when he became poor that he could save us. He didn't save me from a throne. He saved me from a cross. He saved me starting with the incarnation. My parents are so poor that we live among the the out-of-control Gentiles in the north up in Nazareth. And when my dear mother wants to make an offering for purification, she's got to take a poor man's offering of two turtle doves because God put me in the poorest of poor homes, in the poorest of poor times under the heel of Rome. But I divested myself, not because I don't know how to manage money, not because I don't know how to retain my glory, not because someone stripped me of anything. I gave it up for you. Is that what the verse says? And when you look at Philippians, Philippians says he took seven steps down from the throne. Let me read them to you. Step one, being in the form of God, he deemed it not necessary or to be selfishly clung to. He first of all looked at the Father, said, Father, I don't always have to dwell up here next to you. I'm willing to step down, number one. Number two, he emptied himself, the kenosis. Simply that means he didn't empty himself of attributes. He was as much God on the throne and on the cross as any time. But there was no more left in the container to pour out when he finally gives up and dies. I'll give until there's no more to give. He emptied himself. Three, he took the form of a slave. Come on, Jesus, be a CEO of something. Show us how to be economically prosperous. Come on, you don't, you don't have to go this low. I will become as though I'm a slave. I'll own no property. I'll have no political influence. I won't be a part of the establishment. I'll come to the ghetto of the universe and live in one of the poorest, most hard-pressed places in the world. I'll choose the place. Four, I'll become like men. That would be like a man saying, I'll become an ant that I might reach ants. 
And this is God saying, I'll become a man that I might reach men. Why would you give up this splendor that angels stoop and bow before? I will become a man, and nobody in my neighborhood will know that God lives down on 3rd Street. Not even my brothers. You know, he shared a bunk bed with his brothers. Jesus had brothers. Jude didn't even believe until after the resurrection. They didn't see that he was glorious because he, he covered it all. He became poor. He became like them. Step five, he said he humbled himself, and the word means he stooped very low. How much lower do you get than you pour the water and start bathing the feet of men that will deny you that night? You don't get much lower. None of you men ever washed my feet. Ever have anybody wash your feet because they loved you? Or your mother gave you your baths? I've been in some foot washing services that are wonderful. But would you humble yourself if you were a king to wash the feet of your servants? Huh. This is a shock to all Oriental, ancient Near East custom. This cannot be. A king cannot stoop. And a king shouldn't be riding a coat. He ought to be riding a stallion. But he had to borrow the coat that he rode upon. This is your God I'm talking about, saint. Your God. And he did it for you. Not because he didn't know how to manage. Not because someone drug him off the throne. They can never get to heaven. You see, he was so high that we could never reach him. But he said, you're not so low that I can't reach you. You can't come up, so I'll come down. And he becomes the model of all servanthood, that we are not a fellowship of superstars, but a fellowship of stooping servants. Stooping servants. Dr. Edmund President Wheaton said, we do not train leaders. We train servants. Only God can make them leaders. What God wants to make of you before you ever lead anything, will you stoop? If you won't stoop, he won't entrust influence. He says, the sixth step down, he became obedient unto death. Well, that's not too bad. That's not too bad. We all got to die. What's so humbling about that? The seventh step, the death on the cross. Cicero said, it should not be mentioned among Roman company that any Roman citizen would ever wind up on a cross. Galatians 3.13, anything on a cross is under a curse coming from Deuteronomy. And our God, from a throne all the way to a criminal's death, by the city dump of Jerusalem. And for some reason, he throws this in on I'm taking an offering for poor saints. Would you do it for the Jesus? He's the model. He's the example. How can we now stand at the foot of the cross with our checkbooks and our inflated pride about what we think we're worth and negotiate? Or do I give him five? Do I give him ten? Do I... You, you lost the whole spirit of it. Who are you giving to? A man went to Robert Richardson's church, and there's a famous one. I don't want to give to this church because I don't agree with the decisions of the leadership. Why, well, isn't that wonderful? In other words, if you don't get to run it, you won't give to it? Robert said, well, let me, I'll make a deal with you. And he said, what's that? I said, he said, bring your offering next Sunday. Bring it in cash. 
in cash, since all giving is you're really giving to God, and you've got to trust somebody to dispense it some way, local churches, para organizations, however, but you're giving it to God, aren't you, sir? And he said, absolutely. He said, I'll make you a deal. Since you don't believe in the leadership of this church, you don't believe in missions that we support, you don't believe in the children we're trying to reach, you don't believe in the outreaches we're trying to do, you don't believe there ought to be a lampstand in this community, you bring your offering up, and I'll have a plate, and I'll have one of the deacons come, and you put your offering on the plate, and we'll pour fluid on it and ignite it. That way you could say you gave. And you could also say you didn't give us a dime. Because I want you to be a giver. Just put it on the plate, we'll burn it. When he told me the story, my mouth locked. I said, did he? Never seen him again. He's blackmailing. He wasn't a giver. He was a manipulator. Let me say today, we're going to take an offering. If you're not a believer in Jesus, do not give in this offering. It's against our gospel to ask you to give because the gospel is our God became poor to love you. Our God became poor to give you eternal life. Our God's got something for you. This church does not want your money if Jesus is not your Savior. The motive has got to be right. Don't, don't, don't give money. What he wants is you. And all he wants is you. That's why he became poor. So I ask you, saints, are we doing anything worth giving our money for? Somebody recently told me, I heard the story of how much money is exchanged every weekend by pimps and drug addicts. It's into the millions and millions and millions. One weekend at Las Vegas. God's church should not ever beg because we're giving at the foot of the cross. And don't give out of guilt. Guilt won't last. You'll give one Sunday, and you won't show up again. Guilt is an instant motivator, but not a lasting one. It's got to be the grace, the grace, the unmerited kindness of God to you. Why did he make you generous? Why did, why did he make you prosperous? So you could be stingy? No. Raise your standard of giving, not your standard of living. You're already living like a king, most of you. And if you're broke in this church, by God's grace, as long as some of us support the agape fund, we will buy your children food, we will buy them shoes, and we will pay the rent because we want to help poor people. And we'll help you. We gave 62000 among you last year. People, we paid your rent. We paid for your children's medical. We did whatever we could. 62,000 is pittance. We gave 120,000 to missions. We ought to be up to 250,000. We will be. But we first of all got to be sure we're solvent. And so we're going towards Easter Sunday. It's going to be a miracle offering. For if God could raise a dead man, perhaps he could raise money out of some of you and your heart. But he can raise dead men, can he? So he can raise money out of your heart. And, and you did it last week. You started a new trend. We know that last week, you can do it. From now on, we're going to frisk you at the door if we don't reach 80,000. <laughs> don't feel under pressure. Don't feel any pressure. But we can triple our giving if all of you would help. This will be eternal. And according to 1 Timothy, you'll treasure this up in heaven. 
It will be in the treasure chest. Our deacons that are able to be in this meeting, and pastors, uh, we're going to uh, give our first fruit offering. We're going to put it in this box here, and then we're going to take it downstairs after a while, and we're going to pray over it, dedicate it to the Lord. And uh, we're trusting God that he will take the lid off of giving and expose you if you're stingy and out of, out of sync with the Lord, may expose your heart, not to condemn you, but so that you can be corrected. The Word of God corrects us. We all can get out of alignment. Not to make you guilty unless you are. Sometimes I don't have a guilt complex. I just have guilt. I'm really guilty. Have you ever been there? And so you just repent. You get yourself in alignment with the Lord. 